I hope over the last few weeks you've been convicted by, you've been challenged by, and you have enjoyed our study of the ten words, the ten commands of God as much as I have. I hope that our Lord has used it to sharpen areas of your life and to smoke out areas of your life where hidden or unrepented or even uh, unknown sin was. I know these sermons on basic laws and commands can sometimes come across as uh, legalistic or um, rigid or whatever word you want to use for it. So I hope that on some level um, I've helped you to keep your eyes on Jesus during these sermons and to keep your eyes on the fact that it's only by the grace of God through the work of the Son and in keeping with the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to accomplish His will in keeping these ten commands and truly all of His commands. Hope this series has caused you not to do something also. I hope it's caused you not to make another list of moral laws that you should follow. I hope it's not caused you to be more legalistic. I hope it's caused you to not make um, more moral regulations, more moral laws, but to trust in the lawgiver to help you keep the law as he has already and so finally stated for us. The Pharisees got in trouble when they interpreted the Ten Commandments because what they did was they said, what God has given us is not enough. So let's, let's make more. If it's honoring God to keep the Ten Commandments, if it's honoring God to keep His commands He's given us, then it must be really honoring God to really fine-tune these for God. I hope if these sets of sermons have done and will do anything for you, it's this, that will help you to trust that the commands that God has given us are enough and that He will help us to keep them in the way that He has prescribed. We are now transitioning in our series. Um, We will still be talking about the Ten Commandments, of course, but over the next few weeks, there will be, starting today, there will be, well, actually this week, and then when we return to this after the Advent series, um, there will be a transition that you will, will see. The transition comes at the first four commands. The first four commands are really geared toward teaching us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. This is what Jesus meant by saying that the The commands of God can be summed up into two commands. And the first was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. We keep the first command when we keep the first four commands. While the last six commands specifically deal with loving the Lord and obeying Him, they more so deal with how we keep the second great command, and that is loving our neighbor as ourselves. We have seen how each command is important in and of itself, but there are some special nuances that lead us to believe that there are some specific commands that have extra emphasis. Maybe, uh, I, I, I would dare to say, maybe even some extra importance. Like our command today, we look at how the Lord 
uh, gave Moses the commands. And if we look at it the way I'm prescribing that you look at it, you can find some extra emphasis in this. He gave Moses the commands, the Ten Commands, on two stone tablets, which I think can likely mean two things. Uh, one of two things, or maybe both. One is that he gave all Ten Commands on one tablet, and then he gave all Ten Commands on a second tablet. That's how you can choose to believe that, or choose to see that. It was customary in that time when you made a covenant with someone to make a copy. So it's pretty customary in this time, except it's like 100 copies. You know, you, you sell a house or you buy a house and you go home with a, with a binder with several copies. And this lawyer gets copies and this attorney gets copies and this uh, real estate agent gets copies. You know, it's customary to make copies. But, but also, you could, you could view it this way. He gave them on two stone tablets. It could be that the first tablet dealt with how people specifically related and honored the Lord our God, the first four commands. And it could be that the second tablet gave them the commands with dealing with each other. If this is true, then the second tablet, the first command, would be our command today. The first command as it relates to dealing and and operating with each other would be our command today. That would be the fifth command. Either way, it really is the first command of this command break. I want to read Exodus 20 verses 12 and look at the importance of this command in our lives. But before we do that, let's go over our little memorization thing. The first command, no other gods before you. The second command, no graven images. The third command, watch your words. Don't take the Lord, the name of the Lord God in vain. The fourth command, people get in their four-door car with their four wheels and they drive to church gathering. The fourth command. The fifth command, honor your father and your mother. It's a salute. I know it's corny, but someone taught me that like 15 years ago. And I, and I promise you, I have not gone back over this today for this sermon or for any sermon. And I remembered them. I jogged them, I I ran through them in my memory one time, and I remembered them. Because you add those little things to it, and it's good for memory. And you should remember them. You should know these. You should know these. They're important. Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Pray with me today. God, help us as often as we can to work for the restoration of the family and for the understanding of proper respect to authority. Help us to understand, Lord, that you have given us authority, you have given us boundaries in our lives so that we can, more, so we can know more how to worship you and honor you and trust you. Lord, you have given us this authority and uh, of parents. You have given us this authority in other areas of our lives. And we know that we should hold on to this command because you are good and you are holy. And when you gave these commands, you were good and when you are you holy. And as we are following these commands, you are good and you are holy. And Lord, we follow you and we trust you and we honor you because of that. 
Lord, teach us today. Help us to be humble enough to hear what your word has to say today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Something that I've seen thus far in our study of the Ten Commandments is our basic need to go back to simple ideas and simple principles for living. The Ten Commandments not only give us basic principles for living and following God, but also they show us a great deficit in our society and also in our own hearts. The fifth command is no different. The fifth command gives us a plan for respecting our parents and really people in authority in general. But it also gives us a picture. If we're able to analyze this properly, it gives us a picture of something more broad. And that is the erosion of family in our society. When we look at the fifth command, we see specifically how it deals with children and how they treat their parents. But remember, I explained to you the rule of categories. Do you remember the rule of categories? And that the rule of categories is simply the idea that the Ten Commandments cover a specific topic mentioned, but also that it covers, each command covers a range of topics that are closely related. An example, the fourth command was about Sabbath holiness. But also the fourth command teaches against laziness. It says on six days you work hard and on the seventh day you rest. Uh, That's just one example and there will be many more examples as we go on through our sermon series. We'll find them today. Therefore, the Ten Commandments really cover an entire spectrum for living. And so what we find in the Ten Commandments is not only respect for our parents, but respect for uh, authority in our close circles and society in general. As a matter of fact, I would assert to you that the fifth command speaks to the erosion of the family. And the erosion of the family happens when authority is lost in the household, to which I would assert to you that the erosion of the family is the beginning of the erosion of society. This was the goal of liberalism starting in the 1960s. In the 60s, they began to destroy the authority of the father to where every TV show or movie you grew up watching, you grew up in the 80s and 90s, and even before that, the dad was a bumbling idiot who had no sense of of what it was like to raise a family, and the mother was always coming in and saving the day. Or the dad was this rigid dictator to the point of being verbally or physically abusive to the mother. And it was the children and the mother versus the world. Destroy the authority in the family, destroying the authority in the family and destroying authority in general. Mom in the 60s, moms in the 60s were made to feel less if their desire was to be a wife and for motherhood. And somehow to be something, they must be equal to the man or greater to their male counterparts in the workforce. A major goal in the erosion of the family is to usurp the authority of the dad and to take the mom out of the home. Popular magazines and TV shows glorified defiance and and children basically raising themselves, taking the parents out of the picture at all. It wasn't until, and, and I know that you might not agree with some of the things on this show, but it wasn't until Stranger Things, the Netflix TV show, that parents actually got involved. I mean, you, you can count on, on, on these amount of fingers how many times parents are involved, involved in, the, in the activity of their children in movies and TV shows. 
It's like Goonies where the parents, you see them at the beginning and you see them hugging the kids at the end, but they're not involved in the middle. It's actually the teenagers who are looking for the kids in Goonies. It's not the parents. The parents are completely eliminated from the equation and children are made to be defiant and they're heroes when they're defiant. They're heroes when they don't listen to the commands of the parents. That has spilled out of the four walls of the house and into the streets. There was a time when you respected women and you respected elders, and if they needed a seat, you got up for them. If a door needed to be opened, you opened it. You paid for meals. We would have never sent our women to fight our wars. Now people are considered a drain on society with antiquated ideas or are looked at as basically in a holding pattern for death if they're old or elder as opposed to someone who has gone through life and who has rich knowledge to offer. Someone who should be, who their, their mind, and get this in the more, not the literal sense, their mind should be harvested, not in the literal sense, but their mind should be harvested for, for our knowledge and our welfare and our well-being, as opposed to being seen as a drain on society, as opposed to being seen as antiquated with, with nothing to offer. There was a time when police and first responders were respected, If the lights and sirens were on, people pulled over. If they saw a police officer being beaten on the side of the road, they would stop to help instead of filming it to to get their Twitter followers up. There are bad police officers, of course, who, who deserve just punishment. But FBI statistics and criminal statistics in general says that the good outweigh the bad. The objective truth is that their police officers in general are still honorable people. And should be respected. The good just doesn't get the the ratings as pushing the anomaly of the bad. We see this lack of respect in religious organizations. And I'm talking about all religious organizations. Where Jewish synagogues are are, uh, vandalized. Where Muslim mosques are vandalized. Churches are burnt down. In the name of politics. Members of churches are burning their own churches down. To promote and push racism. And then there are actual racist acts or other uh, anti-religious acts. Positions in government that were once respected and honestly for some good reason, for good reasons, the government has, government positions have lost respect. But also, we should still respect those. We should still hold highly those offices, even if at times we don't feel like the person that's in them has earned or garnered much respect. We've seen a a drastic decline in our lack of respect for our military. Respect for authority has eroded to its most debased level, where you have rioters and looters at every turn distraught over different ideals or thoughts, destroying city blocks and cities because their feelings were hurt. It is throwing a temper tantrum with violence. In the PC and safe space America, the inmates are truly running the prison. Where does this all start? Where does this all begin? I would assert to you that the erosion of authority in our society has happened because of the erosion of authority in the family. I was researching some different views of what causes erosion in the family and I came up with a few that I would like to give you today and I think will be important and I'm not sure if I have them up here. So you can, are they? Okay. 
Five causes of the erosion of authority in the family. Number one is technology. Technology is a great cause of the erosion of authority in family. We have a society that wastes more time than any other society that has ever existed. In one sense, we can still be productive because we have technology to do it for us. I would tell you if, I will tell you if I didn't have the Bible programs that I've bought and churches have helped me buy and seminaries have helped me buy over the years, it would be much more difficult and much more time consuming to prepare a sermon for you. It would take a 40-hour work week to prepare a sermon as opposed to 10 to 12 to 15 hours to prepare a sermon for you. But because of, because of technology, I've been able to um, gather all of the resources that I could possibly need at the click of a button. That has given me exponentially more than my counterparts of the past. has given me exponentially more time than they have had. What do I do with that? Obviously productive things, right? This technology gives our generations the most free time in the history of the world. And instead of using that free time to strengthen relationships or to make more memories, we invested in temporal things that bring little to no long-term benefit, like games or memes or video threads or, or social media browsing. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. We waste more valuable time than any other society that has ever existed on this earth, and we cannot get that time back. Around Thanksgiving, there was a, a meme going around, since I just mentioned memes. There was a meme going around, and it was all of this family sitting at, um, uh, around the couches. And all of the kids, younger and adults and older adults and all of that, they were on their phones. And the grandmother was sitting there, and she was the only one on their phone. And, and, the, and the meme said, one day you'll look up from your phone, and she won't be there. And, and that struck me. And it didn't strike me as much with my grandmother. My, my grandmother is still alive. I have one grandparent that's still alive, and she's lived a full life. And, and I'm going to miss her when she passes away. But it struck me in this way. One day I'm going to look up from my phone, and Ellie's going to be 16 and not 6. We are wasting valuable time because of technology. We are wasting valuable time that can be used to strengthen our families. It has also done something that you might not have thought about. It has made urgency and speed with which we do daily activities less urgent. Our need to gather food or work on shelter or do some other daily activity is in such low priority, both in time and in our need for each other. Do you, I'm not going to go into much detail about that, but do you see how that would create a problem? We don't need each other in our daily activities because we can pay somebody to do something. We don't work along to each other. Uh, we don't work along uh, beside each other because we can have something delivered right at our door. Again, I love two-day shipping from Amazon. I'm not, I'm not like judging you too harshly for this. I'm saying all of us. Technology has given us more time for leisure. More time. More, it's more easy to get our daily tasks done and without help that at one time it would be life or death, now it's just something we can do tomorrow. It's been a blessing, technology has, but it's also been a curse as, when it comes to the erosion of the family. Another aspect of erosion of the family comes with weak dads and overbearing moms. Weak dads and overbearing moms. We live in a society where the dads, if they are present, lack backbone and fortitudes. 
fortitude. For the kids, they lack believability. Kids don't believe their dads are as much fighters as they are. Kids believe they can win. And know that typically fathers and even mothers will soon give in. Now this may sound harsh to you, but my children almost never win when it comes to me and Anna. Now it depends on the circumstance and it depends on what's going on, but my children almost never win. And there are two situations where they never win. Well, again, almost never win. One, if they throw a fit, they will never win. They will never win. I will not, I refuse to let them win. The other is if they butter me up. And sometimes, if they do it just right, sometimes they can win in that. But I think those two instances are what we're doing is when we let our children win by, being, by screaming louder and being more harsh than we can be, what we're, what we're creating in them is a sense of disrespect for authority. And when we let them butter us up, and when what we're doing is creating disingenuous children who lie and connive and cheat their way to get what they want. We have also emasculated men in our society. We have ripped young boys from the very thing that makes that make them good leaders. They sit in classrooms not designed for them for long days to study classes and subjects that are not designed for them, and they're labeled as ADD or ADHD. When God created their minds and their bodies to be in the field or to at least be working with their hands and to be moving and active. In the past, men were taught to respect women because they were different. And listen, they are the more frail sex. You can hate me for that, but just remember, you're hating the Bible if you hate me on that one. Men held doors and they handled the dirty work and did other things that God had gifted us Neanderthals to do. It was so that women could excel in their gifting. Now so many men are beta males instead of alpha males who lose the battle with their children and give their wife no reason to want to follow them. As much as you might not want to hear this, women have done their part in eroding the family also. Now I want to tell you my view from the scriptures and then allow you to hate me and still have your own view or, or even maybe take my view, even if you don't like what I'm saying. It is my view that God created women both biologically and physiologically to be wives and mothers. Women in their very essence want different things than men and men than women. Personally, I think that someone should be at home raising our children, being a nursery of heaven, and that God designed women specifically to take on this calling. It wasn't for the patriarchy that God did this, but it was the honor of a man in days gone by to work hard in the field and the mills and the quarries to protect his wife from having to do such. Progressivism has told women that the reason men want them to be at home is because they want to hold them down. Where the Bible says it's because they want to lift them up. Call me dumb or old-fashioned or chauvinist pig, but there isn't a thing any lady can do on this earth that would earn more respect than I have for my wife, who is the COO of our house and a primary shaper of our four precious minds and hearts. 
men for a plethora of reasons have stopped leading in the homes. And women often by necessity have taken over that role. And the struggle between the earned respect a man needs and the female desire to usurp the respect is one of the main curses of the fall and is one of the main causes of strife in a marriage. I'm giving anybody time to, if they want to walk out really quickly, they're more than welcome to. Another thing, parents either set no boundaries for children or worse, they don't keep the ones they set. Another thing that erodes the family is parents don't set boundaries for children or they don't keep the ones they've set. Parents today are trying to be too cool. Kids these days dress, even my kids, dress better than I've ever dressed in my life because their parents want to be cool and they want them to be cool. Listen, I want to tell you I have a great, and it's, I know it's weird for me to say stuff about my dad when he's in here, but this is, not, this is good and bad. I have a great relationship with my father now, but I didn't necessarily back then. I've always loved my dad and I've always respected my dad, but my dad wasn't my friend growing up. My dad wasn't my, I, I feared and respected my dad so, enough to where he wasn't my friend. We weren't friends. But guess what? I respect my dad enough now that he is my best friend outside of my wife. He sacrificed friendship with me at a young age so we could have the best friendship at this age. It may be cool to be your your kids' friends, but I don't think it's God-honoring to primarily be their friends. I think it's more God-honoring to be a beacon and a stalwart of authority in their life so that they can understand, listen, here's the main reason why. They can see in a protected environment what it means like to follow authority. What good authority looks like. When you mess up and you explain to them, I messed up, what bad authority looks like. They can see this and they can follow it. So that when they get out into an unprotected environment, they can be ready for the task at hand. Another thing we do is we let children win. Now listen, they need victories. They need victories in life and we can give in. We don't we're not stubborn just for the sake of being stubborn. But when we persevere alongside them or more strongly them than them, what we create is not children that are defeated, but children who learn to persevere. The children that get defeated are the children whose parents never set and kept boundaries. Those are the children who get defeated because they always won with their parents. And so they get into the world and they expect, I can always win. I can always win. But if you as a parent show what it's like to lose to your children, again, in a safe environment, they learn to lose and they learn to persevere. Whereas they get out into another environment and they throw a tantrum and they may lose their car or they lose their house or they may lose their life because they get into a fight. They don't know how to deal with certain issues. One of the issues that I think is most prevalent in the erosion of the family is not setting boundaries or setting boundaries and not keeping them. Another aspect of the erosion of the family is busy schedules. Parents nowadays hold busy schedules as a badge of honor (coughs) as opposed to something that needs to be avoided. 
whether it is building our child up to be the next sports star or, or building that college resume up. Most of our kids' activities wouldn't change. Hear me. Most of your kids' activities wouldn't change if you removed the mother and the father from the situation and allowed some foster person to come and be a part of that activity. Whereas God designed our leisure and he designed our activities, he designed our learning to be centered around the family as opposed to in spite of the family. Our busy schedules, if they're busy, should be busy because we're busy with the people we know and love. Busy doing things with our family. Busy doing things alongside or in participation with or for our families. Where it should be the mother and father and the family is involved on a great level, you could pull the mother and father, you could pull the family away, and you could have anybody do anything you could have anybody do any activity that you're currently doing and nothing would change. Nothing much would change. And then obviously, and I'm not going to elaborate on this right now, but removing God out of the center of the family. That is the number one cause for the erosion of the family, even in the church. Because when you have busy schedules and when you set no boundaries, when the Father doesn't lead, You are removing the plan of God. You are removing the design of God out of the center of the family. The only way we rebuild a society is by biblical adherence to the commands of God and a rebuilding of the authority structure in the family. Now, I know I've gone for a minute here, and that wasn't an introduction. That was a part of the sermon. But I've got just a little bit more that I think is important for you today. I want to give you a few lessons that we can learn from the fifth command as we work to build back up this biblical family structure. The first lesson is simply this. We are to honor our fathers and mothers. Now we will see in a minute how this command takes on much more than just the honor that we pay to our mother and father. But the importance of honoring our mother and father cannot be overstated. Honor here is not just a begrudging respect or an appeasement uh, of our parents, but it has much deeper roots. Many parents consider it a win if the kids simply say yes or do something to appease them. Most parents are happy if their children just behave. I don't know how many times I've heard that from parents, from my parents, from myself in life. Behave! What does that mean? And how does that change me over time? If I'm obedient now so that you're not embarrassed, what does that mean? How does that help me over time? That's what I take behave to mean. Many parents consider it a win if the parents, if the kids just behave. The fifth command carries much more weight. The Hebrew word is kaved, K-A-V-E-D, which is the word for heavy or weighty. It is, listen, this is important. It is the word that the Old Testament uses for the glory of God and the weightiness of His divine majesty. Honoring our parents would be to give them the weight and due respect that their position has earned. This command was taken very seriously in biblical times. In Exodus and we don't, or in Leviticus, and we don't know exactly what a curse is here, but it says the, the son who curses his father would be put to death. And evidently, if the, the dishonoring of the parents was egregious enough, the family with the parents were, were to take them out of the city and they were to stone them to death outside of the city. A few things that are necessary to see about this command. 
There are no nuances or stipulations to this command. The Bible doesn't say honor your father and your mother if they are reasonable. It doesn't say honor your father and your mother if they are cool and and not too hard on you. It doesn't say honor them if they are Christians. The Bible says that we honor our father and mothers. Fathers and mothers. The only stipulation for not honoring their wishes is if those commands cause you to transgress the law of the Lord. We are given an objective and strict command to honor our parents, but not just in any way. We honor them like we honor the glory and majesty of God, the weightiness of God. As much as we don't like to hear this, we are to treat our parents with the majesty of kings and queens. I have a few thoughts that I want to apply uh, that that might help you work out uh, this um, in your own life that apply to us. The first is this. This is a command. Honor your father and your mother is a command for every stage of life. It's a command for every stage of life. Something that must be noted here is that this command does not have a timeline or an expiration date. If you are sitting here, this, you might be thinking that this command is just for kids and teenagers sitting in this room. And you might be sadly mistaken. As a parent, you might be nudging your child right now and asking them to listen to what I'm saying. But this command is not just for children. It is for children, though. It's not just for children, but it is for children. The Puritans said that a child should be the parent's echo. When the father speaks, the child should echo back obedience. But this is also for the young adult. It's for the middle-aged adult. And it's even for the adult whose parents have passed away. There is no statute of limitations on honoring our parents. Now, how do we honor our parents in all stages of life? Well, I can't give you an exhaustive list, but I I can help you a little bit. Children and teens, children in here, you should listen for a second. This is one of the only times that I'll be directly talking to you. So children, listen. You should listen and obey your parents the very first time they tell you something. The goal of obedience would be to listen and obey your parents the very first time They tell you something. You should do so with the right heart and the right attitude and for the right reasons. The Bible says you should do everything as unto the Lord. So when you're honoring your parents, you're doing it as if you're doing it directly for God. This command really applies to uh, children of all ages. If your parents... I mean, we should do, excuse me, we should do everything unto the Lord. If your parents are harsh and unreasonable, if your relationship is fractured then don't honor your parents because you're honoring your parents. Honor your parents because you're honoring the Lord. You must understand you are not just honoring your parents for your parents' sake, but as, but as a believer, you're honoring them as unto the Lord. You should do so to honor God because He has commanded it. But also, you honor your parents because God has placed them in your life, and He is good, and He is holy, and He doesn't make mistakes. You can also honor your parents by obeying them when they're not around, by living up to a standard they have set for your life, even if it seems unreasonable. Teens, you should call when your parents ask you to call. And if they haven't asked you to call, you should know that that's what they want and do it anyway. You should be home on time. You should not give them dirty looks or back talk when they ask you to do something. And one that is especially true is proactive obedience. This simply means that we honor God and honoring our parents when we do something even before it's asked because we know that it's an expectation of our parents. You honor God and you honor your parents in proactive obedience. You rob the joy. Listen, children and teenagers, 
You rob the joy in parenting if you make your parents force you to do everything. You rob the joy of parenting if you make your parents force you to do everything. Something that will be noted is you will make mistakes. So you don't technically dishonor your parents every time you disobey them. But you do, so, so don't beat yourself up too harshly about this, but you do dishonor your parents when you live a lifestyle. When more times than not, you live a life that is modeled by direct disobedience to their will than is modeled by obedience. Adults, how many of you as adult and as adult have grown to see how smart your parents were when you were younger and how you thought you were so, they were so dumb and so out of touch. And now you see how smart they were. Now you see how wise they were. How they were protecting you. Now we honor them in different ways as adults. It is honoring our parents as an adult to seek their value and their input on things. Even if we don't end up taking their advice in the end. Also we honor them by the mates we choose. Or the boyfriend or girlfriends we choose. And by how we live with our spouse. We honor our parents. As adults, we, when we come around and we spend quality time with our parents, we honor our parents. And if God wills, we bring grandchildren into the world to honor our parents. And when they're too old to take care of themselves, we take care of our parents to honor our parents. If they get to the point where they need more care than we can give, we are not dishonoring our parents by putting them in a, home, a nursing home or, or giving them 24-hour paid care, but we do dishonor them by not spending time with them during that time. Or we do dishonor them when we overburden our lives so much that we can't enjoy the time that we spend with them. It's more difficult when we see our parents as the children and we as the parents. But God expects us to still honor our parents. Honor for parents extends from childhood throughout the rest of life. Even after our parents have passed away, we honor our parents by living an upright life that honors the Lord. It's a command that extends to all those in authority. Remember our rule of categories. This command is not just talking about honor in the home, but where true honor is learned. It should lead us to respect authority like government officials and police officers and other responders. We should respect elders in society and look out for their well-being, which the government has tried to do and, and failed miserably. This type of work really needs to start within the church and move out. The church should be the biggest humanitarian aid for the elders of this society. Now, I want to tell you, I've had a, an aversion to nursing homes growing up because of some, some of bad experiences as a child. But through uh, one of Blake's naggings, you know, Blake's a nagger. That sounds really bad to say like that, but Blake nags. And one of the things that is good about Blake's nagging, excuse me, your persistence. One of the things that's good about uh, Blake's persistence is that Blake sometimes gets through to me. And one of the things he's gotten through to me on is this nursing home thing. And when we've gone and sung at the nursing homes and we've spent time with them in many other different ways, uh, through that time I, I've had a, a, a change of heart, so to speak. It's still a struggle for me because I have serious PTSD from some nursing home experiences as a child. And I'll tell you about them later if you want to hear about them. But 
But I have had a change of heart because I believe that we honor God in honoring parents, even if they're not our parents, by our care for the elderly in society. There are equals, friends, but I'm not sure there's a greater gospel light shown than we honor those in authority or our elders in a society. It becomes much easier to dishonor them because we can do it behind a keyboard or we can do it without regard to the lives these people have lived in uprightness and integrity. But we can judge one instance or one mistake from the past. One thing I've understood from the internet, from technology, is that there is no forgiveness on Twitter. There is no forgiveness in Facebook. There is no redemption. That's why we have to be careful. Because when Christ forgives, he redeems us from all of our sin, past, present, and future. And if Christians, if as Christians we are willing to not forgive for the sake of a social cause, we are being anti-gospel in our living. This command extends to all authority, and this, com- this is the command that brings gospel light. It's a command that brings gospel light. It's going to take a second because I just went all the way back to the top of my outline. What time is it? Blake, what time is it? All right, cool. I couldn't, my clock is not working. here. All right, a command that brings gospel light. This is vastly important because if we keep the command, if we keep this command, we can be countercultural, therefore exposing sin and bringing gospel light. The culture says if you are hurt by someone, you should hurt back or at least cry out you're hurt in the streets. After all, you are justified in your derision or your hate for those who hurt you, right? Christ says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A true gospel movement will happen when the oppressed love the oppressors instead of trying to end them. Now, I'm not saying that you should stay in or hang on to dangerous or harmful situations or relationships, but I am saying that there are always, <coughs> excuse me, that there are always ways that we can bring gospel light to those who are in authority over us. When we obey our parents and those we love, we bring honor to God and gospel light as we obey. When we honor our oppressors, we bring glory to God and gospel light to those who witness the humility in our oppression. This command is not stipulatory. Honor when you want to or obey when it's convenient. For the sake of the gospel, we bring honor even at times when honor is not earned or deserved, bringing even more glory to God for the sacrifices we make. So we honor authority, and we work within our power to mend relationships that have been damaged because of dishonor, even if we are not the source of that dishonor. I have two more small points, and I promise they're much more small than the first one, and we'll get through them very quickly. The second point, the main point is this. We are to live lives worthy of honor. We keep this second command when we live lives worthy of honor. Honor is a command given from the Lord. It is a command for the children to honor their parents. But parents, we must not expect to be easily honored if we do not become honorable people ourselves. After all, children may obey what you tell them to do, but the person they will become will look more like what you have done than what you have said. 
Often, the churches bridge the gaps where parents are failing. But this is not for the sake of the church raising children. This is not a permanent solution. The churches bridge the gap where parents are failing so that parents can have time to grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that they can raise their children themselves. The ideal solution would be the church coming along, new Christians and new parents, and helping them, and then eventually pushing them out of the nest and allowing them to earn the honor and respect that they deserve, allowing them to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are to live lives worthy of honor. How do we do this? We need to understand that honor is earned before marriage or children come. If you are single in here, or if you are married without children, you need to hear this. Honor is earned before marriage or children come. A great misnomer in our society is that marriage completely transform, transforms you into a new person. Like, I'll do that when I get married or when I have kids. No. Single you, for the most part, is married you. And married you with no children, for the most part, is married you with children. Now, you do grow and you transform over the years in in dramatic ways. I know that I've grown and matured because of my wife. I know that I've grown and matured because of my children. But But if you don't take simple steps before you get married and before you have kids, you are unlikely to take them during your marriage and as you have children. Steps like regular study of the Word of God or growth in prayer. Steps like consistent church gathering for church attendance, or excuse me, church gathering attendance, and deep involvement in the church in general. If you prioritize things over the body of Christ now, getting married is not going to change that. As a matter of fact, I found that in my first year of marriage, it was harder to be uh, prioritize the body of Christ than it was as a single man. Another is working hard, growing up, and not wasting so much time. If you think in marriage, well, I'll turn it around and I'll become some super responsible person, you're wrong. It could actually make you more lazy because what often happens is we have uh, wives who become moms to their husbands. They just take the place of the mom who was babying the boy before he got married. And often women do nothing to prepare for children until the time comes. Honor is something that you begin working out before you get married and before you have children. Honor is earned as parents fulfill their role in the family. Honor is earned as parents fulfill their role in the family. As men step in and work hard to support their family, they are willing to do some dirty work when they get home. They teach their children skills and activities that translate over to real life. They are earning honor and respect in the family. They are thought well of by their neighbors and friends. Their kids see them, love them. Uh, Their kids see them love and support their mother. They are consistent and fair and disciplined. They prioritize the uh, higher things in life like the Bible and prayer and the church and charity over other things in life. The children see that and they earn the respect of the children and the honor of the children. Women earn honor in their family as they bring and keep order in their house. They are the main voice of reason and logic and learning in their family. They are stern, but they are a lighthouse of peace and gentleness and kindness and understanding. They respect and love their husband as unto the Lord, and the husbands do the same. But the husbands and wife should, uh, the husband and wife should do so <coughs> even if that love and respect is not reciprocated. Wise. Wives, like husbands, work hard 
They drive their children to pursue success, and they labor as unto the Lord. And they model life skills and attributes that translate over into real life and into adulthood. You don't honor, uh, you don't earn honor in the home by being absent, by letting others teach or raise your children, or especially by treating your spouse or your children as a necessary evil or a mistake that you just have to deal with. <coughs> honor is earned when we're present, when we're active. And we live as husbands, we love our wives as unto the Lord, and we live, live as wives and we respect and love our husbands as unto the Lord. There was a point C here, but I eliminated it because this sermon went really too long, and I'm just going to um, take it down in this last point. We must seek higher honor than this world has to offer. Another way we keep this fifth commandment is to seek higher honor than this world has has to offer. The title of CEO carries a lot of weight in this world. The title of president or senator or house of representatives, it carries a lot of weight. Famous, the word famous carries a lot of importance in this world. Being known or followed by as many people as possible is often the pinnacle of joy. To which I would say that you can honor and you can glorify God in all of these positions. You can bring praise to his name as a CEO as much as you can, the commander of the poorhouse. But none of these things were commanded at creation. One of the first commands of God is partially fulfilled in our command today. His command was to be fruitful and multiply. This does not mean that you have to be married or you have to have children to honor God. And there is a calling to singleness, I believe. But it does mean that if you marry and God wills, you should multiply on this earth. And, when, and we should be doing everything that we can to be worthy of the honor that God has bestowed upon us as parents. While children of all ages and backgrounds should be doing, willing to do anything they can to honor their parents. In doing so, we fulfill the commands of God and we do it for the glory of God. When the fifth command is fulfilled, we have honored God in a way that I think is unsurpassed. Honor your father and your mother in the Lord. Honor them by being honorable and by obeying their wishes. Honor them by growing up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Honor them by, if the Lord wills, getting married. If the Lord wills, bringing grandchildren into the world. Honor them by making your house a nursery for heaven. And here's the promise. Here's the promise. It is, as Paul said, the commandment with a promise. If we honor our father and our mother, the command is in um, Exodus and explained later that your days on this earth will be long. Now that doesn't mean that everybody that died young didn't honor their, hey, he's, he died at 40. He must have really been bad to his parents doesn't mean that everybody that died young didn't honor their parents. And it doesn't mean that everybody that lives old does honor their parents. I think it means two little things. And you don't have to write this down. Just, think, just remember these. It means that it's likely a promise to longevity of living if we honor our parents. It likely means what God says it means. That he's going to give us long and fruitful and abundant life on this earth. But it, it could also mean this. 
Think about the legacies that we leave behind. Think about the legacies that we leave behind. Even if our life is short, the legacy of a person of integrity who has honored his parents while they were alive and honored his parents after they were gone continues to honor his parents for long, much longer than the days he lives on this earth. Think about the legacies we live. Friends, we can't do this. We don't just automatically become good children. We don't automatically become obedient. We don't automatically get rid of our sass. We don't automatically get rid of our desire to be independent and self-governed. After all, some of those things are good. Some of those things are like breaking the shell of a, ba- of a baby egg. We're learning. We're doing it on our own. Because one day you're going to be out of that egg and you're going to have to do it on your own. That independence, that, that spirit is going to be, it's going to help us succeed in society. We honor God when we learn to temper our desire to be free while we learn what it's like to live under biblical authority. In the house, with our friends and family, in our government, everywhere. Because of the rule of categories, this command applies to all areas of our life. So we keep the fifth command when we're people who honor the rule of authority in the world. Pray with me. God, you are good and you are holy and you've given us the fifth command to keep and obey. And so we trust in you in this because we know, Lord, that every good and perfect gift from, comes from you and the Ten Commandments are a good and perfect gift from you. Lord, help us to love you more every day In doing so, we keep the first command and help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. In doing so, we keep the second. God, we love you so much. We praise you. We ask you to grow us and strengthen us into the likeness of Jesus through the power of your spirit in the name and glory, for the name and glory of God the Father. It's in his name, for his sake we pray. Amen.